It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The fun forever It's at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday. Uh, May 25th, and you're listening to episode 417. Uh, today, this is Jason, joined uh, by my friend Roscoe Shock. Hey, Roscoe, how's it going? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Jason? Doing really well. So, uh, Roscoe, uh, a fellow game designer I met, uh, gosh, a few years ago now? Or was it, it, it's one of those game design, it feels like forever, but it feels like, I don't know. I can't remember. Has it been a few years? I think. I think it maybe it was officially like Origins last year. Um, we were testing it down pub room and stuff yep. like that. And uh, was that just last year? I think that's when oh we. Oh my gosh, that feels like ten years ago, man. Is what that feels like. <laughs> I know, right? The last two months have felt like ten they years. Have. So. Oh, they have. Yeah, no, and and we hung out at Gen Con last year as well, because uh, Gen Con was where I got to play um, your game uh, with the flowers in the yep yeah that, the hummingbirds what, yep. the hummingbirds and the flowers yes I was gonna say butterflies but I'm like it's not butterflies I'm thinking of Animal Crossing um, <laughs> but I loved that game that game was super duper fun what was it called again uh, I was just calling it hummingbirds so real original yes. I know but <laughs> <laughs> but no that game was super fun I really enjoyed it um, so yeah so you have been hunkering down like the rest of us uh, which what state are you based in I'm in Pennsylvania, okay. so I'm about an hour west of Philly, about an hour north of Baltimore. So okay, easy to get to places then. Yeah, for uh, sure. Like uh, the main unpub would, which actually would be this weekend uh, for Memorial Day, is just like a 45 minute drive down the road. So it's super, super easy. Right. Yes. Except yes, now it it's is. in August. So yeah. Um, gosh, it's hard to believe that unpub would be this weekend already. That's crazy. And uh, we just got the news. Uh, as of recording a day or two ago that uh, Gen Con is officially canceled, uh, as is Essen uh, Spiel. Um, both those things I think we thought were going to happen, probably. I was pretty confident Gen Con would get canceled. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, even by August, if uh, Unpub's allowed to have, you know, a couple thousand people together or not. I don't know yeah, what, I, what the state of Maryland will say. Right. I, I would bet against it. That'd be my bet. But, I mean, I hope for Unpub. I mean, I I hope for America <laughs> that's the case. But, like, who knows? I mean, it's just... I was thinking about Grand Con is one I usually attend up in Grand Rapids. And uh, that's in November, September? No, September. And I... Who knows if that'll even happen? Yeah. Yeah, so... Right. Um, I think he's doing that on Labor Day now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is... It's it's nice for people who are traveling who don't have any Labor Day plans, uh, but it can be hard. Like if you have family stuff, you know, like Labor Day is not the best weekend to have it, unfortunately. But I I know that that's the weekend they have because that's what they have available. Um, yeah. So, um, but I I don't know. I I don't know if it'll happen this year. I'm guessing it won't. Um, but who knows, right? I mean, it's literally everything is so unpredictable at this point that uh, we just don't know. I saw that uh, Gen Con is. So Gen Con is doing an interesting thing. They kudos to them. They auto canceled everybody's hotel reservations uh, and refunded all any money that was paid, which is pretty great. Um, but they're uh, they're giving you the option to roll over your money uh, that you've paid for your Gen Con ticket to next year to get your ticket for next year. Um, 
which I think is great. I mean, like that was a no brainer to me. Like, I'll just do that. I don't like you don't have to do anything. It just happens. Right. Which is my kind of thing. Right. Like, just don't do anything and it'll just happen. Um, but the uh, they also were saying, but if you want your money back, we're going to charge you a ten dollar cancellation fee, which felt a little bogus. Uh, but I get it. I mean, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to keep their they need money to be able to function for the next year. Uh, and I, I just hope that, uh, you know, I, I would have liked to think that gamers would have been like, yes, we care enough about Gen Con to roll my ticket over. But yeah, I know that not everyone would have done that. So. I don't know if that ten dollars really makes a difference to them with that, but anyways, yeah. yeah. So Yeah, it's strange. I guess maybe some people think that well maybe next year will be canceled too, and like there'll literally never be another Gen Con, so I might as well get my money back now. <laughs> right, I right. I mean, I look at it as it's a hundred what is it, like a hundred bucks? Um and I paid it a long time ago. So, you know, I mean uh if I don't ever see that money again and it allows Gen Con a shot at functioning, like I have to be okay with that. Like as somebody who's, this would have been my 17th year in a row at Gen Con. So, um, yeah. I have you, how many times have you went to Gen Con? Quite a few or? Uh, no, I've only been designing for a couple of years. So I've only gone, um, I guess twice. This would be my third year. Except not. And that was my next question was I had never asked you how long had you actually been designing? So Yes. I know that uh, was it Grand Con where you had the um, where was that you had created a game uh, I don't know if it was for a contest or something but it was uh, um, people I just remember that people were uh, gosh what oh I don't remember you you was it a, everyone was talking about this it was I think it was a roll and write game maybe um, yeah with the yeah, it's it was like that a, was button shy right kind of pre- no, I think it was um, it was just a roll and write um, called Weapon Master, and it was kind of a pressure luck roll and write, which is actually something we'll talk about a little bit later. Okay, okay. Oh, um, spoilers. Sorry, I just remember everyone <laughs> like we. Were, I was in the other side of the room listening to people play that, like, and it was like people were screaming and like yeah, happy and like yeah, that. it was that game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Had a lot of those great like aha you know moments, which is always always fun to get. So. Well, hey, you, yep. uh, unlike most guests of the show and unlike myself, you came prepared. You said, I'm going to send you an outline for what we can talk about. And I thought, have you ever heard our show before? Um, because that <laughs> sounds really organized. Um, I feel like you should be on a show with Neil Roberts because uh, he's also very organized and gets on me for not being organized. Uh, but you sent an awesome list of stuff you want to chat about tonight. Um, so, yeah. So I thought, let's just uh, let's just roll into it if that's cool. And uh yeah, so I will let you kind of lead the way and uh, with uh, with the stuff you want to chat about here. Yeah, well, part of the reason I make a list is so that when I um, get on the podcast, I don't sound like a moron just trying to like make stuff up and try to fill the air. So right. at least I have some semblance of a plan of what I want to say. Hey, that that's like so, my professional um, skill, though. Like that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. We have more practice at this uh, winging it on the podcast. 417 uh, times. Several, that's right. <laughs> right. Several hundred more episodes than <laughs> than me uh, under your belt. So uh, I don't want to uh, sound as kind of like off the cuff. Fair enough. Yeah, so um, we've been thinking about this topic for a while. And um, I know going to Unpubs and Protospiels and these different events in the past couple of years, when I talk with other designers, um, you know, at lunch or, you know, between games or things like that. 
one of the things that some people kind of like talk about is struggling with coming up with a new idea. Like, how do you come up with a new idea? Where do you get inspiration? Right. Um, so not that I'm Julio, because Julio is like a whole different level. You know, every time you see Julio, he has like 12 new games and, you know, six of them are like boxes yeah. stacked on top of each other. It's like Jenga, yeah. but it's a board game or something. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> So like he's like A plus, so I'm probably more like a B plus or something. <laughs> so you know, a lot of times I get inspiration. I just kind of make notes about different games, and so I just kind of thought maybe it'd be interesting to kind of at least give um, my process and the things that have kind of inspired me to come up with game ideas and see if that maybe inspires someone else or gives them some other kind of like tools to use to think about kind of the ideation process and like how yes. to go from a theme or a mechanic. Um, to like a framework for a game and then like then you can start once you have kind of a framework and an idea then you can kind of start you know making a copy and iterating and, and doing some play testing and that kind of stuff so absolutely that's what we wanted to talk about a little bit here just that whole kind of like how do you get started or how do you start a new project like once you have one you're all in you get to the point you pitch it whatever um then then what do you do how do you wait do you just wait until you get inspired and like you wake up with an idea or whatever how can you kind of like think about that right right so one of the things is probably my biggest source, um, and I'm, I'm sure other people maybe have the same thing. I mean, actually, let me back up one second. So one of the ways I think about game design is I tend to be a what-if designer. And what I mean by that is I'll play a game and I'll think, well, what if this was different? Or what if this was you know, a dice instead of cards or, or something mm -hmm, like that? Or mm -hmm. if someone else is talking about a game idea, and they're like, oh, we should make something that where you like make this bag builder. And it's like, well, what if you did this instead? So a lot of my kind mm -hmm. of stuff is riffing on other things like that. Um, so that's really how I kind of get started down any of these kind of like what I call framework for a game, right? Like the beginning pieces like of the idea, the mechanics and the, and the different stuff like that. Right. So one of the places where I get a lot of that kind of inspiration is actually from uh, from listening to podcasts. So. That's one bad thing right now with the uh, with the pandemic and working from home and that kind of stuff right. is like I traditionally listen to that in the car going to work right or you know that kind of stuff. So yep, yep. there there is no car ride to work to, to listen to these. So it's a little bit harder actually to, to kind of squeeze the podcast in because you feel like if you're at home you should be doing something else instead of uh, just sitting there listening. Right, right, and it's um, hard to just say I'm just going to sit here and listen. Right, there's so many other things you could do. Not even that you should. Just so many things you could be doing. Whereas when you're driving, listening to something is is, is pretty easy. <laughs> right, right. You're pretty checked out. So, I mean, I guess taking a walk <laughs> or something might be a good, uh, we're hitting the gym or something. But So, I just want to talk about a couple of the podcasts that actually have inspired a lot of the ones I have kind of in my backlog. Um, so, one of the ones that I'll list first is um, Design Diary. So, there's a podcast. He's not doing it right now, but it's by, by Jason Tagmeyer of... of um, button shy games and he used to do this thing where every day he would have some dictionary where just like word of the day kind of thing and then sometimes it'd be just him and sometimes he'd have guests on and they would just like whatever the word was try to think about what kind of game does that kind of bring to your mind what kind of mechanics does that make you think about um mm -hmm. things like that yeah. so actually like i've listened to those and i actually went backwards to the whole catalog and nice. i probably have probably a dozen or two game frameworks that just kind of like came about by mm -hmm. listening to like his podcast and his podcast is super short. It's usually like five to 10 minutes. It's not very long. Cause it's just kind of like 
again, that starting point of like, right. you just pick a word like dawn or you know morning or, or moonlight or something. And it's like, if you're going to make a game about moonlight, what would it be? And just to hear other people talking and riffing a little bit about mechanics or the theme and that kind of stuff can kind of inspire you to think about some other thing that like, oh, that's cool, but I would do it this way or I would do some other thing like that. Right. So yep. that's one that's definitely inspired a lot of uh, ideas, uh, kernels of an idea for a game for me. Uh, one of the other ones, and again, some of these are going to be pretty obvious, but um, the Logology episodes, so much of the stuff that Jeff Engelsing's mm-hmm. talked about um, historically, um, there's just so many different kind of aspects, right? So a lot of times the thing about the Logology episodes is they usually focus on a very kind of specific thing. And so it's not just like kind of broad talking about games they played and that kind of stuff. It's it's very kind of more theoretical and stuff like that. And so you can really kind of explore that that one little piece of game design. Um, and the guests kind of do that too. And you can kind of think about different things. And I'll give some examples here in a little bit. So we're just kind of crossing us off with broad strokes. So that's a really great one. I think I've listened to probably 90% of those. I'm not probably not back to the very first episode, but most of those I've done. Another great one is Board Game, board game Design Lab. Gabe Barrett, obviously he has different designers on it. A lot of the things that he does with his episodes is he has the designer kind of walk back through their process. And I think that's right, really interesting right. to see how other people think about the theme or the mechanics or yes. the style of game and that kind of thing. And, you know, listening to how they approach it can give you ideas about how you could kind of approach going from a theme to, to the beginnings of an idea. So right. that's another really great one to, uh, to think about and not to pander, but um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the other good ones for me has actually been building the game. So uh, there's several ones here actually I'll talk about, um, which were inspired specifically from listening to an episode of building the game and you and Rob talking. So nice, um, nice. Again, anytime we're kind of going through that process, like you guys have different themes, different ideas, different styles of development and that kind of thing. Again, right, I think right. that can be really inspiring to kind of um, give you a starting point to let you move forward um, go, or, you know, spin out an idea from something you were kind of listening right, to. Right. And one of the, I think one of the most things that I love the most about working with Rob is when we would do those episodes where we would, um, we would do like a challenge and both of us would like riff on the idea. Sep- like I would say something and then he would say something and to see like how different our ideas would be between the two of us. Um, and I think it's just indicative of like what it's like when you get, it's it's like when you talk about board game design lab, right? And somebody walking backwards through their process, right? Everyone's process is different. I mean, every single one of us, even if we have similarities, they're all different. Um, so yeah, I, I, we've, to be fair, we've gotten that feedback a lot that like, because we just kind of riff about a lot of different things that that can and we generally don't do anything with those ideas because there's too many of them that that can be helpful to people who are listening. So, yeah. So thank you for the mention there. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's a little bit too, like if you go to um, a testing event, say like an unpub and you're hanging out in the unpub room between things and just designers, they're sitting there playing each other's games. Like if you play a game and you realize that there's a problem with it, having everyone kind of bouncing ideas off each other, it's not one person just saying like, obviously it has to go from A to B. It's a bunch of different things kind of like all mm-hmm. spinning and kind of influencing each other to try to right, find right. The, the next thing. So, you know, I think that's kind of similar to 
a little bit of how like your guys' podcast kind of works in my mind. And that's where you get a lot of those what if ideas you were mentioning, right? Where when somebody's you know designers, you're playing your game. And you'll have three different designers, and they're all—they've all got their own what-if scenarios. Like, what if we did? Right. What if you got rid of this? What if you added this? You know, and um, yeah. So that those are the best sessions. I mean, we've—I uh, think all of us have been able to make such amazing progress on our games just sitting with other designers. You know, because designers—they get it in a way that your average game player doesn't get it. Right? They—they they, their brains work differently. All of our brains work, you know, on the same type of wavelength as designers. I think. For sure, for sure. Um, so there's lots of other podcasts too. Uh, hopefully I'm not uh, giving anybody short shrift or anything, but uh, just some of the main ones that have actually have helped me. So, you know, I just want to mention those there. I think one of the other great places you can get the kind of starting point for um, some inspiration is contests. Now, some of these game mm-hmm. design contests are pretty open. Um, you know, just submit whatever you want. But the ones I'm thinking about are a little bit more restrictive. Um, there might be something like, the button shy ones where you only have 18 cards, right? So even if that's something you're not really that interested in in doing, it's pretty great to like put that constraint on yourself and then try to go make something right. in that kind of vein. Um, Jellybean had a contest a couple years ago where it was just 18 cards and there's three colors and the cards were numbered one to five. And then there were, the last three cards were just like a red, green, a red card, a green card, and a blue card. And so there was red one to five, blue one to five, green one to five. And then just a card that was red, a card that was green, and a card that was blue. So it was just 18 cards. Interesting. And I think he released it as Jabberwocky. Um, hopefully that's correct. Oh, okay. But basically, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it was one of those things where, like, he was going to make the cards, and then he was looking for people to create, like, eight other games that they could include extra yep. rules for kind of thing. So it's, like, right. one set of components, multiple games kind of thing. But, again, that's, like, a huge constraint. So not as only 18 cards, the cards, like only have these attributes like there's one to five and three colors and that's it right right that's all you have and you don't have no control over the art or anything else that's all you have to kind of work with right right so i mean at least like with tagmire's 18 card contest where they all had to be the same you got to decide what they were right so like whereas this it's the constraint of these are your cards make a game that fits exactly this that's real interesting yeah right and the more restricted it is actually sometimes it's a little bit easier to get started right because like you know, mm-hmm. that's the thing. You start with, like, I can make a game about anything and any style and any size and any length and any difficulty. Sometimes when you really cut it down, that makes it actually kind of easier to get started. Sure does. Yep. Yeah. I think that a lot of times, too, when you've got that limitation, it makes it really easy to say, what kind of theme fits on this limitation? And then as you plop that on, now you have a theme and some, like, components. You just need to put mechanics with it that make sense, you know? So that's, yeah, that constraint can work really, really well. For sure. And, and there's other ones, too, that, you know, there might be some contest that, like, you know, um, I can't think of the one. There's the one uh, company that makes games all kind of about science. So, like, all their themes are really kind of science-based. Um, oh, uh, Genius Games? Gen- that might be it, yeah. It might be it. It's evading my like mind they, right now. They merged with another company, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, I think they Yeah, I think they did. Maybe the ones that bought Altana. Um. So there's other ones too, like picking a certain style. So like roll and write games or something like that, where even if it's not a kind of game you ne- normally like, I think that's a really great part place to start. Um, I don't really particularly love roll and writes because I think they're just a little bit like roll some dice, point salad. There's not usually you know there's decisions, but it's not very kind of like interactive necessarily or right. you know. 
Um, I think the biggest I, thing we've seen out of roll and write games that's come out is the and write portion, right? Where it's become the random and write of do something random, like do use a random generator and then draw or write. So I, I think that's really interesting to see where we've come with that. Because it did start as yes. It was like roll these dice, play an abstract game and write numbers down. That was literally the whole deal. Right. And some of those too, I think there's some uh, benefit to taking a game category or game style that you don't particularly like and saying, I wonder if I could make one of these that I do like. Make one that yes. for myself. So like take a category like that and like make a roll and write that you actually like. That's not so point salady. Like, you know, most of them are all a little bit of variations on a theme, right? You slap some pictures on it and, and you, you maybe have some custom dice or whatever. But can you make something that's like, kind of really different. And we'll talk about the one you were mentioning at Grand Rapids here in a minute. Um, and there's other ones too, like there's a little mint tins, you know, make something that can just fit in, you know, kind of restricting your component size and that kind of stuff too. Um, right, right. So I think some of those contests can be really kind of give you a starting point and give you a box to kind of color in and give you a little bit of a starting point. So, um, so what else have listed here? So one of the other things that, um, I think can be really helpful is even if it's not a game that you necessarily want to uh, you know sell to a publisher uh, or something like that, can you take a game that exists as a board game or a card game and can you make a dice version? Or could you take a card game and make a dice version or vice versa? Or can you take you know kind of a big um, kind of board game and just like cut it down into cards or something like that? So right, right. Um, a couple months ago, my friends and I had picked up Alchemist. So Alchemist is kind of a deduction game, has an app, but um, it's kind of like you're trying to create these different formulas. It's hard to kind of explain if you've not played it, but if you have played it, um, it tends to be very fiddly. And so like the part that we kind of okay. really, really enjoyed was all the deduction part, right? Because it's mostly a deduction game, but there was all these extra pieces that had kind of been added to it. So one of the things that I started was I went out and you know, I'm not necessarily going to pitch it to anybody, but I tried to make a dice version that was like much more streamlined. Yeah. You just rolled some dice and then you just like jumped right into the deduction part and tried to make that part interesting. And so taking the best part of a game and then trying to make another game, who knows where that game will evolve to. It's not necessarily I'm trying to pitch, like literally trying to make Alchemist the dice game, but it gives you a starting place to like explore other ideas and like kind of see what you can kind of come up with. Um. Oh yeah, no. I think that's yeah. I think that's a a great um, starting point. You know, especially when you're saying, "Here's something I really like. How can I make it a different experience that I would like even better?" Right, for sure. And so there's other games too where like I have a a version of basically it's a it's like diplomacy. So diplomacy, the seven hour war game where you like. <laughs> Yeah. Um, backstab your friends and you know it takes seven you need seven players and it takes a whole day and that kind of stuff so I actually have a card game version of that that takes about 15 minutes a player uh, and it plays three to six so it's a lot more flexible it's a lot nice. more simpler it's a little bit abstracted um, so like you know just exploring these different kind of spaces you can take uh, kind of the soul of a game or of an experience from a from a different product and try to adapt it into a different form factor so just adapting right. Um, a bigger game into a smaller game or vice versa. Take a small game and try to make it into a big game. Yeah, no, I think that those, those are some really good starting points um, for, yeah, for, for working on something new and finding some inspiration. 
So those are some of the main categories that like kind of inspire me uh, in terms of new games. So the one thing I thought might be interesting was um, I have kind of some notes here from um, like when I get the idea for a game, I have this email thread on my phone and I kind of like jot down a couple sentences and that's kind of like the framework, the starting idea of what I think a game could mm-hmm, be. Mm-hmm. And then I try to go back later and if that's what I'm going to work on, then I try to start you know, really building it out and thinking about all the rules and that kind of stuff. So I thought the thing that might be interesting was to talk a little bit about some of these things and how I went from the first thought and inspiration to some of these notes and kind of how that kind of progressed and, and see if that maybe is something that, you know, might help somebody else kind of get past a sticking point. Yeah, well, that sounds interesting. Let's let's do that. Okay, so one of the ones I have here, I have this little micro game, 18 card game, um, I'm calling it Schrodinger's Cat. And so I was reading uh, about quantum computers. So I'm a computer scientist. Um, that's what I do for a living. And they're talking about quantum computers and quantum mechanics. And one of the things with the quantum experiments is... Um, it's kind of in two positions, right? It's superposition, it's entangled, right? right. So Schrodinger's cat, yep. the cat's yep. in the box, it's dead, and it's not dead. Unless you right. open the yes. box, and then you open the box, you kill the cat, right? So you can't observe it. And so I was thinking about that driving home one day, and I was like, how can I make a game where you can't look at the game? <laughs> so like that's the initial inspiration point, right? So how can I make a game about quantum mechanics in some way where you can't look at it? We're looking at looking at it will change it. Right. Or ru- right? Yeah. right. Or ruin it or however you want to think about it. Right. So like taking that theme and then, you know, thinking about like, where could you go from there? And so one of the first things that came to my mind was, well, what about a Hanabi style game where you have cards, but you can't look at them, but maybe other people can because they're mm-hmm. like not really part of, 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 of your experiment. So you have cards and that's your experiment and you have to get the experiment right, but you can't ever look at it. Right. And so that was kind of the starting point in how I kind of progressed. And so what I have now is a game that plays two to four players. And it's kind of like a combination of Hanabi and Mastermind where you hold up different cards and then you basically get different kinds of like answers that tell you, well, this is one of three kinds of cards. So the card you're holding up is, you know, it's the cat or it's dead or not dead. You know, so it's kind of like one of those two pieces you don't know which one it is, but you like you slowly get some deduction pieces to kind of like bring it down. Um, so in any case, that's just a little bit of like how I kind of progress through some of these ideas, like starting with something of like, right, how do you play right. a game that you can't look at to like, how do you turn that into something? Right. All right. How that, that sounds, that also sounds like a really fun game to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's super short. It, it's, it's definitely a beer and pretzels game. Um, it's uh, super easy to play. Um, so actually, uh, I'll talk about the next one. So actually for Hummingbirds. So you, you mentioned that, uh, having played at Gen Con. So that game actually started out based on a conversation Rob had on the podcast. So Rob was talking about some card game. I have no idea what it was. I can't remember. I tried to go back and find the episode, but I couldn't. Um, it was something like, it had cards. It had like Japanese girl, school girls on it, I think. And like each card had a number. Uh, yes. Um, or no. Oh no. The the, the um, uh, the terrifying girl project, or something like that. The terrifying girl project. Something like that. Yeah. 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 I don't remember. 
Um, so he was talking about the game and, and like how it played and the cards have numbers and like each card had like a different girl on it, right? It matched the number. But then the cards had also abilities that did some something. And the restrictions were like when you played them or took them, you had to take all of the same kind or something. I don't remember. Yes. Yep. Remember exactly what it was. So when he was explaining that game, or as he was explaining the game, I should say, he was basically lamenting that he really wishes there was a game that had like some of the cool parts of that game. Um, but like some of the extra stuff he found kind of annoying and like, you know, really kind of got in the way of the experience. So yes. Yeah. The, the game was incredibly text heavy. Like you'd have to read, like, let me stop and read these cards. They're real small font. Yeah. Lots of text. Yeah. And there were some other rules to that. I have to try to see if I can find the episode. Um, but anyway, he was talking about these different things. And so I was like, well, I'll go try to make that game. Right, so that that was the initial impetus. Like he's like, I wish I had this game. So I was just like, well, whatever. I'll go try to make something, and like, who knows what will come out of it, right? So, um, the game hummingbirds you played, there's cards with like flowers and uh, the hummingbirds, and there's like a board. Mm-hmm. But initially, yep. it started out it was just one deck of cards, and there was just hummingbirds, and there were six different kinds, and there was still the drafting thing in the middle. Um, that you played, so it's like a four by four draft orthogonally kind of thing um, for the listeners at home. But um, when you played them, you had to play ones that were all of the same kind. So there wasn't really a board; you just had piles in front of you, and you were trying to like basically collect different sets. So it was mostly kind of a set collection kind of thing, and it evolved over a bunch of play tests and things like that into the game that you played. And so, like again, just starting with that one little idea, who knows where it can go? Right? You, you get something. Yeah. Um, you play it with some other people, you get some feedback, and they're like, this isn't working, let's add this, let's take this out, that kind of stuff. And so you slowly kind of evolve an idea, but sometimes it's just that initial spark of getting started um, that I think people struggle with at times. So that's just another example of, of something Absolutely. that you can kind of do. Well, and that just shows, I mean, that because what you've described, the game that I played has grown way from where it started. And you know, that just shows, too, that taking that seed of an idea and putting it through proper testing, taking feedback, making changes can get you somewhere really interesting. For sure. For sure. And I think that's one of the things that I enjoy most about game design. It's like sometimes you have like a core idea that you're trying to explore, but sometimes the game tells you what it wants to be. Right. So it's kind of like yes. seeing it kind of evolve and like find what its shape is really supposed to be can be really exciting. So to me, that creation part is kind of one of the more gratifying pieces of doing game design, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay, so um, the next one that I'll mention here and just kind of talk about, and actually I have my original notes here too. Um, So it was from Design Diary. They were talking something about lights and shadows. I forget what the exact word was, but it was something about light and shadows. And so the thing that initially came to my mind was like a checkerboard, right? A checkerboard has dark squares and light mm-hmm. squares. And so like there's some yeah. kind of grid. Um, so I'll just read here what I had written down initially that day. <clears throat> uh, light, dark idea with a four by four grid of locations, Dracula versus Van Helsing, rows and columns wrap around, trying to ca- catch versus escape. The right guess wins. The wrong guess lets Dracula move again. A screen and a grid to mark your movements um, on a dry erase board. So 
this game started out very kind of abstract. It was there was no kind of like there was Dracula and <clears throat> Van Helsing only in name. They were just basically like where you're at on the board. And the thing okay, is, yeah, yeah. over time it evolved where now the game plays. Dracula has abilities that are different. Uh, so it's asymmetric powers than Van Helsing. It's still kind of a, a chase mm-hmm. game, um, but they move differently. They have different abilities. They kind of like uh, chase it. Over. But it's a, it's a game that takes about 30 minutes. Uh, it's two-player asymmetric, and uh, it actually only plays over seven turns. Um, but it's like super, super kind of crunchy deduction, but it's actually pretty accessible too because there's only these 16 spots where each of the players can be. And so it's kind of like ah, right, right. chasing around. Um, you know, it's like one problem with some of the bigger kind of deduction games or Dracula games and things like that that exist is like they take an hour and the first 45 minutes is just like going around this huge map collecting 12 things. And then there's like the fun part at the end where you try to like catch them or not. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like filler and then the 15 minutes of game right so th- this this design uh, you know c- tries to kind of uh just start there um just start with a smaller board and there's nothing special you just have to catch each other um and, and go from there so again just starting with the idea of talking about shadows and dark and light and you know thinking about well who moves in the dark who moves in the light you know starting with who moves in the dark thinking dracula and that kind of stuff and then kind of progressing from there Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So this one's super funny. (laughs) So this is actually from Building the Game. And I think you were talking with Nicole. Um, So this is more recent. This is more recent. This is like two or three months ago, maybe four months ago. I don't know. Cool. And she was talking about some kind of game. And you both were just kind of riffing. And you made a comment about a game. Like, what if there was a game called... Kitty, kitty, lick, lick. You're talking about cats or something. <laughs> you, it, right. Yes. I don't know if you remember this or not, but like you're talking about, and you mentioned th- this title, which like immediately stuck in my head of kitty, kitty, lick, lick. So like seeing how cats like kind of all curl up against each other and like lick each other and that whole thing. So like it, it immediately like invoked a certain image, you know, of like well, what could be a game. And so... my initial idea was like okay what if you had a card game where like you have these cats and there's like maybe a bigger cat you start with but the cards are like semi-transparent so there's a cat but wherever the cat isn't is clear and then you have like a a Mm -hmm. hand of cards and like the curve of the shape of the cat and like the convex concave spots and, and different things like that basically you're trying to like take the cats and like build a nest like on the they put the first one down and the second oh, one has cats. to go kind of yeah. like around it and if it doesn't fit correctly then it can't go on that cat and you have to like start another nest oh. of cats right but it's like i have no idea if it's any good as a game or not whatever it doesn't matter but the whole point is like it was just like thinking about well could you make some kind of game like that that's a little bit silly but it's just like <laughs> right. making this pile of cats and it was just inspired by <laughs> The phrase kitty, kitty, lick, lick, which was pretty hilarious. <laughs> that is good. It is. I, 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 one of the things that, that always surprises me is, and this is with my own design as well, is what little things can become inspiration. Like somebody says something funny like that right. one time or like, 
You know, I always say that a lot of my design comes from I see a scene in a movie or I get this like image of this one thing and I design a whole game around that one little thing and no one else would know that that's where it came from. But that's what got me to design the game, you know, so so it's it's funny to hear someone else doing that specific thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's super funny. All right. So the next one is a game idea that I call Populous. Um, so this comes from a Ludology episode. So uh, Jeff Engelson was interviewing um, the Atoma Factory. So that's the group out of, I think, Denmark. Uh, correct, forgive me if I'm wrong on that. Um, but they actually make the uh, single-player games for... Our modes for like all the Stagmire games and a lot of other games. Oh, okay, cool. So they they get the game and then they go and they build the system um, so you can play it by yourself. And so a game, a lot of the Stonemire games are designed to be multiplayer, and so they need something to kind of sit in as other players, right? So basically, there's a deck of cards right, that right. have some different branching options of like and then choose certain actions um, that kind of take the place of other players. So. It's not scripted, but it gives different variants and things like that. And so Jeff was talking about how, you know, you keep dropping the number of players and, you know, they've kind of done a pretty good job in coming up with a system for doing single-player games. And he's like, so what? You, what's your biggest challenge next? Um, is it to make zero-player games? And so I thought that was really interesting. Like, what is a zero-player game? Because it's a little bit nonsensical, Right, right. But what if you could make one? So so basically a game that plays itself without, is that what you're saying? Without human interaction? Well, I mean, I think that's the thought experiment, right? Like, how do you, how do you think about what a zero-player game is? So the, the idea I kind of came up with was, okay, so normally in these uh, Atoma systems, if there's two other players, or, or you're emulating two other players... Um, there's a deck of cards that basically like the actions just kind of get played and they, they do whatever they do for themselves. And so I was thinking about, well, what if you had a table where there's four players, but they were all automata. So like they're all just self-playing, right? So you see this, that the, there's four different areas and they're doing whatever they're doing, collecting resources, moving stuff around, whatever they do. Um, so the cards dictate what actions they take. And so... Again, the players the players are just automatically, these non-players are just automatically going around taking their turns. And so I was thinking about that, and it's like, well, that's a little bit like, depending on your viewpoint in life, like, that's just like humans or something. And like, maybe you're gods watching these players just kind right. of like go through the motions and doing whatever it is that they do. And so the players... Are not playing they're just doing whatever the deck says they do but what if you're actually a secondary game where you're gods and what you're doing is betting on which human is going to do the best or who's going to win or, or things like that so the actual yep, yep. that was when you no guys sorry i was saying when you first said zero player game the first thing that popped in my head was what are you betting on like something happening so yeah that i think that completely makes sense so it's just like thinking about that of like how could you kind of extrapolate that where the game's kind of going around and, and maybe the gods have special ways to intervene and like, you know, you can spend tokens or whatever, and but you're placing bets as progress as progress kind of happens for each of the non-players. Um, so it's just a, a way of thinking about a game that has no players, 
but it's kind of inside another game. Right. Does, so by that definition, Camel Up almost fits that exact criteria, right? Because the game is the race and you have no impact on the race, right? Because it's random the way the dice roll and you're betting on the outcome. And as the game progresses, you um, can adjust your bets. But being correct earlier matters. Or can you, I guess, no, you can place things out that can jack up the race by putting the pluses or minuses. So you do have some, so no. So it's not, technically speaking you are still intervening in the game. So, yeah. If you wanted it truly to be zero player, <laughs> it's not. Yeah. So it's just an interesting thing to think about. And, like, you know, how would you... It, if you had oh, to yeah. make a zero-player game, how would you kind of start with that and, and um, think about what it is, so... Well, and, you know, another thing is, like, how different is that than a computer simulation, right? Like, I've seen these things before on, like, YouTube where it's like... This, the AI system will put like knights versus archers or Jedi versus knights, right? And then like they just program what they do and then they just tell them to go, yeah. right? And then they just act autonomously per their programming uh, to see what would happen. I mean, that's you're kind of talking about an analog version of that. Um, so yeah, it's when you really think about it like that, it's it is very interesting because, um, yeah, yeah. Now I'm thinking. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is exactly the point, though, right? That like you you never know in any set of conversation, the different things that come up. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, you're thinking of a different idea that's slightly different or it goes in a slightly different direction. And and, but if that helps you find that starting point, then that's a really great thing. Right. That that people then can go make a better version than whatever I was thinking about. Um, But it's just like how it kind of progresses along that journey. Yep, absolutely. All right. Um, let's do a couple more here. Perfect. perfect. Um, so this one is um, one that uh, I would listen to uh, Ludology. And they're talking, um, I think he was talking with Rob Davio uh, about legacy games. And I was thinking about legacy games. And, you know, the one thing that, that struck me is legacy games always kind of progress a certain way. And maybe there's a legacy game that I haven't played, but the the one thing that I was thinking about is um, usually you add more stuff. And so what I was thinking about was uh, a legacy game that was kind of backwards where um, as you played each um, generation, um, you kind of had less and less, um, kind of options um right right or you right. played it from the, the the final episode maybe that maybe it's still pro- you still add things but it's like progressing the opposite way i don't know how to think about it correctly but the thing i was thinking about and this is kind of depressing so apologies in advance um if you made a legacy game about climate change right so you start at a certain point you only have you only have yeah, certain yeah. tools to like you know clean up the atmosphere of the water or you know be able to create food or things like that. Um, And you can run that kind of either way where right now, if you start looking at climate change, you have all these cards and different ones will allow you to get to a point where as that game progresses, you'll be able to, you know, kind of solve the problems, but each successive generation that you go through and the legacy 
gets harder because now some of the strategies that would have worked won't, right? So as we progress um, each game generation, like it gets harder and harder and harder because you know, you're going to get to the point where like it only gets harder from here out and you're only going to fail, right? And so like you have to do the things at the beginning to kind of like have any chance at all. So I know that one's slightly depressing, but I was just trying to think about like a legacy game that was kind of like running opposite. I don't know. Right. So one of the things that I find interesting about that is that, so from my understanding, especially of the Davio legacy games, right, is that like that he uses legacy as a way to make the game more complex as it goes right as in not like because you're adding stuff to add stuff to make it bigger but basically like he said with risk legacy i heard him say this at something at one point where he was like if i were to show you the last session of risk legacy you wouldn't be able to play it because it would be so complicated but if i give you week by week some more rules and some more tools by the time you get there, it's no problem at all because you understand the you understand the framework so well that that additional complexity is not going to hurt anything, right? Um, so thinking about like uh, is the climate change theme something that could be really interesting that could be the best of both worlds could be starting out in generations past. So you've got these people in like the 1500s, you know, like like thinking of like First Nations people or Indigenous people, like well, you know using the ways that they would hunt and fish to do that, right? And the ways that they would cultivate the land. And then your options get better and better um, until you reach kind of that critical point where you're doing the damage and now your options get fewer and fewer. So you could actually have like the tool of scaling the game uh, to make it more complex, but reducing options. So yeah, that, I think actually... Like, that's the type of game that would be really useful if done scientifically right. correct. It would be really, really useful, um, you know, in the world to have a game like that out there that could teach For people. For sure. I yeah. think. Like I said, it's also kind of depressing, so I don't know if... Uh... <laughs> it is depressing. When you first said that, I thought you were like, so listen, there's this global <laughs> pandemic, and then everybody starts dying. And I was like, oh, too soon, too soon. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. Last one here. Um, so I was listening to actually um, the Geek All Stars, which is a different uh, podcast that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, um, earlier, yeah. And they were talking about um, different things, and Dan was uh, mentioning that like he really wishes there was some kind of jury selection game. And so again, it's just one of those things where like, well, how hard would that be? Uh, a game about like a jury and so the thing that in initially came right to my mind when i was thinking about that if i was going to make a game like that would be um something like guess who right so <clears throat> you have these this pool of juries and maybe this is like again just jury selection for like a grand jury or something like that this isn't the actual trial but how do you pick jurors um that are going to be like good for your client if you're the lawyer how do you pick ones that are going to be sympathetic to your client and you know not really be that right. interested in what the right. prosecution is going to have to say or vice versa and so right one right. thing you can do is that you have that kind of like i said guess who element where each juror has different attributes that they care about whether that's gender or some um or you know hair color or 
maybe it's like, you know, how they dress or um, their occupation, you know, whatever it is. Like there's different categories you could come up with. And then the whole point would be um, you have some set of evidence cards, which basically says, um, you know, the, the guilty party, you know, who committed this crime or whatever it was has one of those values for a certain number of attributes. And so does the prosecutor. And so you know some yep. stuff and the prosecutor knows some stuff. And so what you're trying to do is use this kind of guess who system to eliminate jurors that would be bad for you um, and you know get rid of the ones that are good for the, for the other lawyer. And then at the end of that process, then you kind of like reveal all the evidence cards between the two lawyers and then based on the jurors that are left, you see who would win, like who would get the votes one way or the other for guilty or not guilty. Right, right. So, you know, that's just a starting point of like, what would a jury selection game kind of look like? And then trying to think about what that could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be interesting too to see something with that where you've got double-sided jury cards. So like on the one side, it's like they're outward, the things that are right. obvious to you about sure. what they might care about. Uh, but then on the other side, it's some more deep down stuff. Like it's the same outward stuff, but like basically, so at the end, you would be flipping over the jurors that you kept to see the full information, but having a way that um, the attorneys could peek sometimes at certain jurors to flip and okay, no, no, got to get rid of this one. Or, oh, this one looks bad, but actually on the other side, right. not so bad. So um, yeah, that could be. That could be really interesting. Um, yeah, no. Uh, the idea of a jury selection game, I think, is I think there are some some traps you could fall into there. They could <laughs> cause the game to have some some issues. Uh, you know, um, uh, thinking just like on a social sure. level. Um, but uh, yeah, but it's it's a really interesting uh, idea for sure. All right, I think that's the list of. Uh Ones that I had some kind of a anecdotal uh, narrative here to kind of talk about how I started thinking about it and, and got to some starting point for for an actual game or for a complete game. So, right? No, this was uh, yeah. No, this was actually really a lot of fun. I really I love hearing people's ideas and where they came from. Um, and I I don't. I can't think of a way this is not useful to some builders out there who probably drew some inspiration from this. I know just for myself, I mean, two or three of the ideas I was instantly like, I want to design that game. Like that is like, wow. It's, it's those moments where you think, why didn't I think of that? Like, duh, that's, that's a really smart, clever idea just by turning something on its head um, or, you know, looking at it from a different perspective. So yeah, no, that is, um, that is good stuff. So I, this was a fun topic. I'm glad that we went through this all, you know. Um, yeah. Um, anything else about it you want to add to make sure that we covered? Or is that, is that does that get it? Um, nothing's kind of coming to mind right now. I think that the biggest thing with, with uh, some of this is inspiration is kind of out there all the time. And you just have to kind of like be open to it. And I think one of the things is don't be afraid of restrictions. Like, you know, pick just that single word or that single theme or that single phrase or whatever it is and just keep thinking just about that. Try not to get distracted in like, you know, every other kind of thing you could make. Um, just kind of like use that one anchor point to try to like 
think about what you could do and it, you'll be i think kind of surprised mm -hmm. at where you end up with so absolutely and one other piece of advice just based on the things you talked about that i think is important is you're talking about contests and you know historically i've only ever entered one contest for game crafter and it was because we had beavers be damned and it fit the category that they were looking for so we entered it um but a lot of times I, I stay away from the game crafter contest only because the amount of time you have and the amount of work you have to put in, I pretty much can always guarantee I'll never be able to get it all done in time. Just with the way things work with, with my life right now, there's just no way I'm going to get it all done and turned in everything I need to do. Um, and I let that stop me from working on those ideas and that's silly, right? Um, I can go look up all the specs for the mint tin contest or something like that. Right, Even exactly. now, it doesn't have done, right? And Work on a game to that. And that, I think, is a good takeaway from this is you don't have to enter the contest. Just steal the restrictions and exactly. do something with it, right? That's that's worthwhile. For sure. For sure. So, um, excellent. Uh, the How about, uh, we were talking about a pitch. You want me to pitch you the uh, the game from Grand Con? Yeah, let's do that. Let, let's do that here. Is that... Uh, yeah, I, I didn't get to play it. I was really bummed that I didn't get to play it because uh, it sounded like fun. So I'd love to hear more about it. Um, yeah, so actually you're right. You did say something about um, Button Shy and it was the Button Shy contest where you had to use one of each of the polyhedra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of every so dice, it was that, right? It was that uh, yeah. restriction that that one came out of. But again, like I said before, Roland Wright's I find sometimes a little bit kind of a little too uh, linear, I guess. So I wanted to make one where that wasn't really the case. So this game is called Weapon Master. And the thing with Weapon Master is it's a roll and write that is, everything about it is press your luck. And so what you have is you have these different slots for these different weapons. And you have a weapon that's kind of assigned to each dice. You have a D6 weapon, a D8 weapon, a D10 weapon, D12 weapon, a D20 weapon. And you need to train on those. And the way you earn training points is by pressing your luck. So the way that works is you start with the D4. So you roll the D4 and you roll one, two, three, or four. And then you have to roll a second die, can be any of them, but the six is probably the best choice, that is greater than or equal to. So it, it can't be lower. And so you keep going until you kind of bust, right? So you roll one, uh, one on the D1, and let's say on the D6, you roll a six. Well, you could stop and keep those two training points or you could risk it on the D8, but you have to roll a 7 or 8, right? Because otherwise, a 6, 7, and 8, right? So you have okay, to keep, yeah, yeah, it gets yeah. kind of progressively harder. Um, so you get to choose. And you can also skip dice. So if you think rolling higher than a 6 uh, on the D6 is tough, you could jump to the D12 um, and roll that one instead. And so you roll until you bust. And then the number of dice you have without busting, if you stopped... Um, is how many training points you earned. So the most you could earn is five because we only do four, six, eight, ten, and twelve. Okay. So if you earn those five, you cross them off. For the D6, you need six training points to start being able to use that as a weapon. You also have the ability to master the weapon, which adds some extra pieces later. So that's the training mode. So you always train at the beginning of every turn. And then the second part of each turn is you have three choices. One, you can try to earn rerolls. You can try to earn armor. You can try to earn health. And they all work a little bit differently. Um, so the earning armor is kind of a little bit like... Um, it's a little bit like, um, I guess, Yahtzee rules. You have to roll everything but the 20, and you're trying to see... You have to get three of the same. 
but you can like keep you reroll up to two more extra times. So like you roll the four, six, eight, and ten. Sorry, is that right? I'm trying to remember on the fly. So, but in any case, you try to get three of a kind, and if you do, um, you can reroll twice. And if you get three of the same one, then you earn an armor. There's another one where, for the rerolls, um, you have to roll all of them one time, and it's the number you get that's greater than, I think, six. And then there's the health one where you have to roll again the similar ones, but you have to roll lower than a three. So they all have different kind of choices. And the whole point is you're trying to build up your health and your armor because the fourth thing you can do in the second part of the turn is there's this kind of dungeon uh, on the side of the paper. So the first monster only has like three hit points. Um, but then they get progressively harder. goes three, five, seven, whatever, up to like 25. So you just kind of keep going through that cycle. You do the pressure luck part at the beginning where you roll, start with the four. Um, you roll the six and the eight and you're trying to get some sequence that, that goes up. And until you bust, and if you bust, you get a, a, a booby prize of a, of a free reroll. But then you take your training points, and then you train on a certain weapon. Again, there's a weapon for the D6, 8, 10, 12, and 20. Once you've mastered a weapon, then you can go to the dungeon for the second part of your phase. And the die you roll to attack is the die of the weapon. So the D6 weapon, you roll a D6. And so you roll that, you have to get, say, four hit points. Or you have to do four damage um, to kill that first monster. And if you do, you earn a couple rerolls. Now, the next time you go into the dungeon, you can try to attack the next monster who has six hit points or eight hit points or whatever it is. Uh, and you keep kind of uh, doing that training. So there's one other piece, and that's that um, for each weapon, you can learn it, but there's also a mastery part. So when you master a weapon, it gives you a bonuses. And you get a bonus uh, plus one every time you use that weapon. And you also get exploding dice. So meaning that... Um, if you master uh, a D6 weapon and you roll a six, you get to roll again. And if you roll a six, you get to roll again. And right. you get to yep. keep um, rolling as long as you uh, keep rolling a six. So normally the dungeon is a one swing attack and you either kill it or you don't. Um, so the thing is you can beat the whole game with just learning the D6 weapon and mastering it. Um, but you have to roll really, really, really lucky in the dungeon and just getting all all sixes <laughs> right right um or you can try to get the 20 which obviously has a much higher ceiling but it's much harder to crit that because it's only the 20 so it has to be a natural crit right and so that's the whole point of those kind of like everybody standing up and yelling moments the final monster you have to beat has like 26 hit points so you can't beat it with like the d20 alone you have to crit at least once and so you have to kind of save up your rerolls so that when you go into the dungeon against that last one, you uh, have to crit so you get to have a, the second attack and be able to kill it. And so when that does happen, um, that's when people like jump up and scream, and that's what you're hearing because when that when that right. happened in, in the Unfarber, I don't know if it was Neil or not, but um, it was basically his last roll. He had to roll a 20 on a D20 or he wouldn't be able to do it. And it was his very last. He had no rerolls left. He was completely done and he did it. So everyone was just like crazy. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I would love to play that sometime. If there's like a print and play version of it or something, I would yeah, absolutely love I have love the to rules in the, um, and the, uh, the, the, the write down sheet. I'll send them to you. Awesome. Yeah. I know that sounds right up my alley. So, um, Fantastic. Awesome. 
Well, hey, man, thanks for being on the show. We uh, we are out of time here. Um, so, But this was a fantastic discussion. I really enjoyed talking about all of this and all where ideas come from and kind of your ideas and, and how you've come up with them. And I think those those examples are really helpful for, for listeners to, uh, yeah, to, to, to take it with their own ideas as well. So is there anything you want to plug or talk about um, before we go? Not a whole lot. Um, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the coming and hanging out and talking a little bit of game design. It was a lot of fun. Um, if people want to follow me on Twitter, my handle is Roscoe Shock. It's just my name. Luckily, I have a very unique name, so I don't have to worry about anybody stealing. <laughs> um, helps, right? So that's where all my board game stuff is. So um, Although I've been not posting as much, we're all kind of in a little bit of a doldrums here right now with uh, everything up in the air, but yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's it. So, well, hey, Thanks again for coming on. It's great to be able to actually talk to you and see you because, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I know, I'm not. going to see you this year <laughs> because of everything. So this has been fun. We'll have to have you back on again sometime. Um, but yeah. So, all right. If you want to find us, uh, you can go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. You can email us, buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can call us, uh, 770-TELL-BTG. You can tweet at us at podcastbtg, at J.A. Slingerland, at Roscoe Shock. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, uh, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and many other lovely podcasting services. Thanks again for joining us. Hope you come back next week. Until then, good night. Good night. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 Hotel BTG. Please don't use the email. <laughs>